0: privilege and an honor and a bit of a jolt for me to um, be here this morning in Steve's place preaching from the passage that he was planning to preach from this week. Um, he um, he really wanted to be in, in uh, Stewart's draft this morning for good reason. They're, they're uh, celebrating uh, the ministry of his father and his uh, the whole day is, is uh, devoted to reflecting on the past, and Steve really wanted to be there. And um, it was a privilege on Friday to talk with him about this text and, and what, what he saw in here about the gospel and um, things that I had seen last year when I studied the same passage. And so I'm, I'm eager to look at this with you today. as your bulletin says, we'll be looking at Genesis 19, but I want to give you a bit of a background. First, if you remember two weeks ago, Brother Steve preached from the previous chapter, Genesis 18. But I'd like to back up a little further just to remind you who Lot is, because this story today is about Lot. It's all about Lot. And I, as I study this, I realize you and I are perhaps a lot more like Lot than we realize lot was the nephew of abraham when god called abraham in the in the fertile crescent where he was living in ur um, god called abraham and abraham took his nephew lot along with his household and went to the land god called him to so lot went with abraham until genesis 13 where they were too prosperous to stay together Lot was very wealthy, Abraham was very wealthy, and Abraham said, Look, let's split up. If you go one way, I'll go the other. So Lot looked, he lifted up his eyes and looked where? To the the valley of the Jordan River, to the the fertile plain. And he wanted to go there, and he did. So in uh, Genesis 13, it says he pitched his tents near Sodom. In chapter 14, we're told that Lot was living in, in Sodom. So he was, his life we see, he's getting closer and closer to this wicked place where th- that was just known for, um, for sin. Then in chapter 14, there's a war. And I believe Steve preached on that several months ago. The war between um, four kings uh, from farther away and five kings, including the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah. And there was a big battle. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah lost that battle and everyone was taken captive including Lot and his family and all his possessions. How did God get him out of that one? Abraham went with his 300 some servants fought and got everyone back. So now we see Lot again in Sodom still living there and he's given actually a place of prominence in the city. He's sitting at the city gate. Um, You can If you imagine, we're not told this, but perhaps after Lot's relative rescued the whole region, the whole county, uh, Lot definitely rose in prominence. And he was recognized, even though he was an outsider, he was recognized kind of as a leader, an influential man and a powerful man. In the previous chapter, Genesis 18, remember God visited Abraham. It says, the Lord visited Abraham. Three men came to his tent, and we learn as the chapter goes on that one of them was the Lord, and two were angels. But They visited Abraham. They ate and drank with him. They promised Abraham that he would have a son. And listen again to what the Lord said to Abraham as he was getting ready to go towards Sodom. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord confided his plans and told Abraham his plans to go down to Sodom and see if it was as bad as what he had heard. And God said, If not, I will know. Um, And that was... Abraham's invitation to start praying and interceding. And he said, Lord, you're just. You don't destroy the righteous with the wicked, do you? What if there are 50 righteous? Would you spare the place because of 50? And you remember his, his bargaining, his countdown. 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. If you find 10, will you spare the city? And the Lord said, yes. And um, in that sermon, Steve brought out how Part of the Lord's plan to save the wicked on behalf of the righteous. We see that unfolding here in a little different way in this chapter, how the the Lord does spare the righteous on behalf of someone else. Uh, I want you to listen to that as as we look at this story. Some questions to keep in mind that we will focus on after I tell the story. I'm going to tell you the story instead of reading it. I want you to think about what does this story tell us about God's wrath? And what does this story tell us about God's salvation? Are you ready for the story? Children, are you listening? So here's Lot. Two angels came to the gate of Sodom, and Lot was sitting in the gate. He rose up and went to them, and said, please, lords, come, come to my house, wash your feet, spend the night, and tomorrow you can go on your way. They said, no, we'll sleep out here in the open square. Lot said, no, you mustn't do that. He pleaded with them and urged them, pressured them so strongly that they came into his house. They came into his house, and Lot, prepared a meal, baked unleavened bread, took care of them. But before they went to sleep, the men of the city, from the oldest to the youngest, men from every part of the city, all the men, surrounded Lot's house and started banging on the door. And they said, Lot, where are those men? Where are those men who came to you? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Bring them out to us so we can have fun with them. Lot walked out the door and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, please don't do this wicked thing. Listen, I have two daughters. They've not known a man. I'll bring them out to you. You can do what you want with them, but do not touch my guests. They've come under the protection of my roof. The men said, get out of the way. They said, who does this Lot think he is? He came as a foreigner, and now he's the judge. They said, we'll do worse to you than we want to do to them. And they pushed on Lot so hard they almost broke down the door. From inside, the angels reached out, opened the door. They pulled Lot in and shut the door behind him. And then they struck the men outside with blindness so they could not find the door. Then from inside, the angels said, Lot, who do you have in this city? Do you have sons-in-law? Do you have sons? Do you have daughters? Who do you have? You must get them out of here because God sent us to destroy this place. So Lot went out. It was night. He went to his sons-in-law, the ones who were engaged to his daughter's. And he said, listen, you guys have got to get up and leave. God is going to destroy this place. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. When it was almost morning, the angel said to Lot, Lot, get up, take your wife, take your girls and leave. Run for your life so that you don't get killed. But Lot hesitated. He lingered. And so the angels, because God was merciful to Lot, they grabbed him. They grabbed his hands and the hands of his wife and the hands of his daughters and pulled them out of the house. And they said, run, run for your lives so you don't get killed. And Lot said, I'm sorry, the angels said, run for your lives. Don't look back. Run all the way to the mountains. Lot said, no, please, not the mountains. Something bad might happen to me there and I'll die. Look, there's this little city right over here. It's just a little city. Can I run there and be safe? It's just a little city. The angel said, okay. I'll give you that city that you've spoken about. Hurry there because I cannot do anything until you get there. So Lot went. They hurried. And the sun was coming up. Lot and his wife and his girls were running. And just as they reached the gates of Zoar, the name of that city, the Lord sent fire and sulfur down from heaven and wiped out the cities behind him Sodom and Gomorrah and all the cities of the plain. Everyone died. And even the the grass, all the animals, everything was wiped out. And as they reached the gate of the city, Lot's Lot's wife turned around and looked and became a pillar of salt. As the sun was coming up, Abraham had gotten up early and he came to the same place he had been the day before and he looked toward the cities of the plain and he he saw smoke rising up like the smoke from a furnace and so it happened when God destroyed all the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and God sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he wiped out the cities where Lot had lived. After these things, Lot was afraid to live in Zoar. So he took his daughters and went up to the mountains and lived in a cave. And one day, the oldest, the firstborn, said to the younger one, Look, our father is old, and there's no one to come to us like they do all over the world to have children. Why don't we make our father drink wine, and I'll go into him, and we'll keep our family alive through our father? So they did. They gave Lot wine to drink, he got drunk. The oldest girl got up and went into him and left. And he didn't know when she came in or when she left. The next morning, the girl said to her sister, Look, last night I did it. Tonight, let's do it again. Let's make him drink wine and you go into him so we'll keep our family alive through our father. So they did. They gave him wine to drink again that night. And the youngest girl got up and went in and lay with him. And he didn't know when she came in or when she went out. And so both of them became pregnant through their father. The oldest girl had a boy, had a son, and named him Moab, which means from father. And he became the father of what are known as the Moabites. The second girl had a son, and named him ben Ami, which means son of my kindred, or son of my relative, and he became the father of the Ammonites, and that's the last we know of Lot in the Old Testament. What can we learn from a story like this? First of all, I'd like us to think about what we can learn about God's wrath. In Jude 7, we're told that Sodom and Gomorrah are exhibited as an example in suffering the punishment of eternal fire. Jonathan Edwards He said, the destruction of which you are in danger is infinitely more dreadful than the destruction of the literal Sodom from which Lot fled. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in a storm of fire and brimstone was just a shadow of the destruction of ungodly men in hell and is not more to it than a shadow is to a reality. It's no more than a painted fire is to a real fire. In other words, what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah is just a picture of what's really going to happen. The misery of hell is set forth by various shadows and images in scripture as blackness of darkness, a never dying worm, a furnace of fire, a lake of fire and brimstone, the torments of the valley of the son of Hinnom. It's called a storm of fire and brimstone. The reason why so many different descriptions are used is because none of them is sufficient. Anyone any one does, but partly and imperfectly represent the truth, and therefore God uses many descriptions of hell. Uh, John Ivan read this morning in Second Peter two. I'd like to read again verses six through nine. We're reminded that God turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes. He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And he rescued righteous Lot, who was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man, as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous from under punishment until the day of judgment. One more scripture about Sodom and Gomorrah is in Luke where Jesus was talking. He said, and interestingly, he first talks about Noah. Noah was in the same boat kind of that that Lot was, and we'll see some similarities with that. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Finally, in Revelation, we're told by John, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done and the sea gave up the dead who were in it death and hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one of them according to what they had done and anyone's name and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire it's sobering isn't it god's wrath is real and god punishes wicked people but thankfully that's not the end of the story and it wasn't for Lot I'd like us to think about God's mercy and his salvation and first of all we'll look at the kind of person God saved in this story and then we'll talk about why God saved him There's one verse in this chapter that I want us to ponder today and we'll keep coming back to it. Verse 29. So it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered, <coughs> God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. I find this verse very surprising I would have expected this verse to say God remembered Lot and sent him out of the city where he had lived. But it doesn't say that. In in fact, that's actually what we hear in, in the account of Noah. We're told when Noah was in the ark, God remembered Noah and God made the waters go down and Noah lived. Here we see God remembered someone else. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the destruction. Think about that as we we look at the life of Lot. Let's try to put ourselves in his place and think from his perspective as he looked back on his life. I'm sure he had lots of time in that cave to think about his choices and where they took him. His influence, his clout, his reputation had amounted to nothing. What had he really done for the good of Sodom? He lived there. He was tormenting his soul with everything that was around him, but he had not changed anything and everything behind him was wiped out. The two, even the two men he had chosen to marry his daughters just thought he was joking with them. So he had, his reputation was ruined. Even his reputation with Abraham. We have no record after this that he went back to Abraham. Was he embarrassed? I'm sure he was. He, at one time he had had so much wealth... In fact, that had been the driving push behind his decisions, wasn't it? He wanted green grass for his animals. That was, that was the savings account of his day, was how many animals do you have? And to keep them alive, you need rain and grass for them to eat. Now his possessions were gone. They were all burned up. His house was burned up, his animals, everything. For a long time, things had gone well for him. At one time, he was almost as wealthy as his Uncle Abraham. Now we find him sitting in a cave with his two daughters, penniless, having escaped with only the clothes on their back. So his reputation was shattered. His finances were gone but that wasn't all he was ashamed of. Perhaps above all, now, his family was broken. The wife he loved had loved the city. She loved things. She loved glitter. It was she who looked back. She took one last look, and it was her last. And it's interesting to notice that after she died, Lot wasn't begging to live in a city anymore. He was afraid to live in a city. I'm not sure what all the dynamics were, but we see his wife was the one who really had left her heart back in the city with all the things. And now, in the cave, his only pride left was his two virgin daughters, two beautiful girls. But here, the choices they make covered their father and their sons and their grandsons and their whole descendants with shame. Even their names from father, son of my relative. Where could Lot go now? His entire life was ruined. finances were gone, his family was broken, his girls are defiled, his own honor is in the dirt. Perhaps, I don't know if you can identify with Lot. I think in the past I've tended to see Lot with a bit of criticism looking from the perspective, for instance, of Abraham and Lot and his poor choices and all the shame. But which, who of us does not have shame to look back on like Lot did? Who of us can keep going with our heads up? I think this verse speaks. This chapter speaks to us in two ways. Speaks to me in two ways. One is a is a warning. Lest we put our hearts where Lot put his heart, and where Lot's wife put her heart. Lest we make the choices that led them down a path of compromise, playing with sin. Even what Lot what Lot said there with the angels. He said, no, please let me go to this little city. It's just a little one. Well, that's how he had lived his whole life. This is just a little sin. It's not that bad. I'll just move a little closer. I'll just move a little closer. I'll just have a little more influence. I'll just try to choose the best of the men for my son's-in-law. And finally, he's saying, this city is just a little city. In fact, that's what the city's name means, Zohar. It just means little or or young, small, insignificant. But by little steps, Lot had ended up here. It wasn't anything big. It was small steps. One man has said, if you're in this position, if you're in a position like Lot was in Sodom, you may not be winning Sodom. Sodom might be winning you. And you must flee. Flee for your life. See, this is, a, this is heart issues we're talking about. If Abraham would have lived in Sodom, I expect the story would have been different. Everywhere Abraham went, he influenced people for good. But Lot was influenced, and his family was severely influenced. Again, let's look at this verse. So it was, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. So what does this tell us about God's salvation? Did Lot... Deserve to be dragged out of the city against his will. Remember what the Bible tells us in the middle of that account where the angels are dragging him out of the city because he hesitated. It says God was merciful to him. You know, his salvation, like ours, was by grace alone. Could Lot take any credit for getting himself out of that place? He hesitated. He had to be dragged out. He begged not to go where they told him to go. God was merciful to him. Who is counted righteous? One man has said, Lot was not saved because of his own righteousness. He was saved in spite of his unrighteousness. Does that describe any of us? Isn't God's grace wonderful? And that brings us back again to this interesting verse. When God destroyed the cities of the valley, he remembered Abraham and got Lot out of the way. It wasn't because of Lot. Lot didn't deserve it. The righteousness that's accounted to Lot in the New Testament is a very interesting kind of righteousness when we look at Lot's life. Why was Lot counted righteous? Because of his connection to Abraham, his connection to the covenant, his connection to God's grace. He was counted as righteous. Let's look a little bit at Abraham and think about why and how would God And and if I wish this were a a small group setting where we could discuss this. Because I'm sure you all could help me a bit and we could help each other understand as we unpack this shining example of God's salvation. But this is not the place for me to just leave the question open and wait for people to come up to the mic. But why did God save Lot? Why did God save Lot? Well, it was obviously because of his connection to Abraham because God remembered Abraham and saved Lot. In, um, in Romans, Paul talks about the faith of Abraham. But before we get there, let's think about this, this covenant God had just made with Abraham and saying, through you, the whole earth will be blessed. And that, in fact, happened in this story. Through Abraham... Who was blessed? Lot. Who else was blessed? His daughters. Who else was blessed? The city of Zoar didn't get destroyed. Through Abraham, God will bless the world. There's two, there's two covenants, and, and I don't have all it takes to unpack these this morning, but there's two covenants. There's the, the covenant with Abraham and the covenant with Abraham's descendant, David that both point forward to this time when God will bless people and he will bless them forever and he will bless them in uncounted, unprecedented ways, spiritual ways. He He will give them new hearts. All these promises are coming through Abraham and through David. And so we open up the New Testament and what's the first verse we read? This is the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we can start drawing these lines of connection between Abraham And Jesus, just like Abraham, uh, was the reason Lot was saved from that physical destruction, so Jesus is the reason that we are saved from spiritual destruction. Let me read a few verses from Romans 4, starting at verse 3. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now the, one who does, now the one who works, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Again, this, is, this fits into this story, doesn't it? Because Lot, if we look at his works, we don't come up with much that would call him righteous but now Paul is talking about this righteousness through Abraham that's not based on works David says blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin lots in there isn't he the Lord did not count the sin of Lot he was merciful to Lot and dragged him out even though his sin His compromise had got him there. Oh, it's just a little sin. It's a little closer. It's not that bad. There's several other verses about Abraham in the New Testament that that draw these lines. Jesus warned the Pharisees. Don't say, Abraham is our father. If God wants to, he can raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Well, why is children for, from, from Abraham important? We see a child of Abraham, a son of Abraham, is one who's inside the covenant, one who is saved, one who receives God's grace. He's referred to as a child of Abraham. What did Jesus call Zacchaeus when Zacchaeus repented and said half of, my gives, half of my goods I give to the poor and if I've stolen anything I'll pay back four times as much Jesus said salvation has come to this house because this man also is who? a son of Abraham so he was connected to Abraham another time there's a woman bent over in Luke 13 and They were on Jesus again for healing on the Sabbath. Jesus said, you know, you, you pull your animals out of scrapes on the Sabbath. Shouldn't this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, shouldn't she be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Finally, Isaiah 53 Again, we see in Abraham, people can be counted righteous. Lot was counted righteous because of his connection to Abraham. And Abraham was counted righteous, why? Because he believed God. And now the the covenant of Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus, the son of Abraham, the one who came. What does Isaiah say about him in Isaiah 53? He says, by his knowledge... The righteous one, my servant, will make many to be righteous. Anyone who gets connected to Jesus is clean. Anyone who's connected to Jesus becomes righteous. So even if you're feeling like Lot, there's a lot to be ashamed about, there's good news. This verse is in here. Us. God remembered Abraham and saved Lot. In our case, God remembered the son of Abraham, Jesus, and through him we can be counted righteous. Another thing we see about God's salvation here, it's just a, a a hands-on example of how God saves. God didn't come and say to Lot, well, he did. He said, get out. And Lot waited and hesitated. But in this story, Lot doesn't get any of the credit for leaving. In fact, Lot didn't even leave on his own two legs at first, other than being dragged and skidding Out of his house. How does God save us? God saves us by himself. God saves us through his power alone. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's God's gift. It's not by works, so that no one can boast. That word boasting. We need to remember, if if you ever feel you're telling, like you're telling yourself, "Well, I'm, I deserve to be here. I'm not like the bad people. I've, God likes me because of, because I do this, or I'm, I'm disciplined, or whatever." That's actually boasting, and God says, He did not save you that way. So you really have nothing to boast of. God did not save you by your works. If you did, you would have something to boast about. And that's what he says about Abraham. If God saved Abraham because of something Abraham did, Abraham would have boasted and said, look what I did. But God doesn't save people that way. And so the door is wide open, even to someone like Lot, who did something unspeakably shameful with his daughters, who made very poor choices, God says, I can count him righteous because of his connection to the righteous one. And the verse, one of the verses Linford mentioned last Sunday, Paul said, it does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but it depends on God's mercy. Why was Lot dragged out? of his house because God was merciful to him. We have to hang on God's mercy. We hang on God's mercy. That's the beauty I've seen in this book. There's a lot I can't explain, and you all can talk about it more as you have discussions, perhaps in your discussion groups or whatever. Uh, unpack this further and there's a lot of sin that happens in this chapter that we didn't go into great detail about there's a lot that we can take warnings to there's a lot of compromise that's happening here in Lot's life the Lord is calling us to say wait if you find yourself saying it's just a small thing Wake up. Even if God allows you to do that, like He allowed Lot to go to Zoar, it will not end in a good way. God allows us to make our own choices and to even backslide or start pushing the fence in the direction we want to go. But we can see how it ended up for Lot. So many regrets. But still, God was gracious to him and merciful to him and God saved him. Let's pray together. Lord, this is such an interesting verse you've given us to show how you save people and why you save people. You remembered Abraham and you saved Lot. Despite all his choices, despite the sinfulness that he battled with, Lord, this is good news for us. It's also a warning for us, Lord. Lord, if there's those here who look in their hearts and know that they're struggling with compromise like Lot was Lord, would you be merciful to them sooner rather than later and pull them away from the edge of the cliff. Lord, open our eyes to your salvation and fill our mouths with praise. Lord, there is no room for boasting by any one of us here for the grace that you've given to us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.